So obviously we're going to talk about Jesus and the mean people today, right? <laughs> Last week when Brendan was preaching, I don't think we were surprised because, you know, we hear so many stories in the Gospels of people harassing Jesus and just being downright mean. But when Brennan was preaching, I, I just found myself writing notes and thought, well, there's another group, and there's another group, and there's another group. And I, I thought, we, we got to talk about how the master handles mean people. Because I'll bet you never run into any mean people, do you? Now that never happens, does it? That's really important. And, and, and when you think about in chapter 7, what uh, the Lord does is he hits the big three places, the big three camps of mean people. Mean families, mean crowds, and mean bullies. They are out there, people, are they not? And I think when, when Jesus is walking through, remember this, he comes and he launches ministry and he says, come follow me, and what? I will make you fishers of people. Now we can think that's all about evangelism. I think it's more than that. Jesus is restarting creation, and how he's going to restart creation is, I am going to show you a new way of relating, a new way of love, a new way of dealing with even mean people. Come follow me, and I'll show you. And so th this whole idea of him inviting us to come, if he's actually saying, come follow me, it's possible to follow him. So we so quickly look at the gospel and go, well, that was Jesus. Oh, yeah, that was Jesus. Only, yeah, Jesus does that. But please, people, this morning, what Jesus is doing is so that we can follow him in doing it also. Amen? It's possible. He's inviting us. And so we're going to look at three scenarios that represent these three camps, and we're going to see three responses that Jesus has to it. So if you want to open your Bibles to John 7, we're going to do a quick tour of that. But as you open it up, in the front side of the, the chapter, here's the mean family. Jesus' brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. How, how do you think they sounded when they said that? Was it a monotone, like, you can't be famous? Or was it something a little, remember, this is Hebrew people. They're passionate. Middle East, passionate. So it's like, you can't be famous if you hide like this. Jab, jab, jab. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. Wow. And it's not just in this section of the gospel. It's not just in John. You read this. This blows my mind. Look at this. Jesus entered a house, and again, the crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they came and they brought him food. They came and they shouted encouragements. They came and said, oh, we're so happy that Jesus is doing this. What did they do? They came to take him because they thought he was crazy. That's amazing to me. And so here's Jesus walking through this. And, you know, you think if there's any place 
anyone that's going to figure out who this guy is. It's going to be his family. And some of us here in this room, it's okay for you to feel this way. It's like, why didn't my family get me? Why didn't my family? I mean, they were around me. Why? They're my family. Isn't blood thicker than water? What? What? I was telling Mark some more when he was talking about some things with the youth and some of the tough things that are going on in high schools today. And, and, and it, really, in our Western world, loneliness is off the charts. It's epidemic. But one neuropsychologist was studying, like, what, a, what, a, what part of loneliness is the part that is really crippling, where we begin to really fall apart as people? And the loneliest people are not the people that's, that go home to an empty house and turn on the TV and watch the world from their lonely one-person house. Those aren't the loneliest people. Do you know who the loneliest people are? The people who are surrounded by people and they're still not apart. Those are the loneliest people. And here's Jesus walking through this thinking, you know, oh, why don't they get me? And not only do they not get him, but they jab him. So Jesus is going to show us how we walk through mean family. But he's not going to stop there. He goes on to show us about the crowds. Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he deceives people. Oh, the crowds. I grew up in a small town. In that small town, either people think they know you, or if they don't know you, they make something up about you so that they can act like they know you, but not many people know you. And you, you, you go through and you hear the whispers. The high school students walk that lonely main hallway and hear the whispers of the crowd. And Jesus is going to show us, what do you do? What do you do with this? When the crowds are out there and all, all these people have these versions of who you are or who you should be or who you could be or who you would be. But Jesus isn't going to stop there. He's going to also show us how do we walk through the bully alley. Because at the end of the chapter, it says, finally the temple guards went back to the chief priests and to the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? The guards replied, no one ever spoke the way this man does. Now listen to the bulliness of this. You mean he's deceived you also, bully? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? In other words, if you don't believe like us, you're out. That's bullying. That's bully stuff. Bully, bully, bully. Now, think with me. This, I know this isn't the easiest topic to talk about, but we've got to talk about how do we walk through these scenarios, mean families, mean crowds, bullies. Where do the mean people aim? The heart... Run with that. Where, where are they aiming? The heart. What else would we call that? Hmm? Your, well, your faith, yep. 
But where are they really shooting for? Your identity. You, your person, which would your heart represents that. Your faith hopefully holds that. How you see yourself, who you see yourself as, how you think and feel about you, that's what they're aiming at. That's where they really want to get their mean hooks in because when that happens, you experience what their mean people are hoping, rejection, isolation, shame. You get a real preview of, of kind of a version of hell. You're put out, you're put away, you're pushed away. And who does that sound like? Who wants that? The enemy. Bingo. Satan would love to take you apart by destroying your sense of who you are. And Jesus walked through this in a way so that we could walk through it as well and come through unscarred, unscathed, unburned, untouched. Before he begins his ministry, he goes through this, in a sense, a final preparation. And he is guided by the Spirit of God. You can read it in Matthew 4. The Spirit of the Lord leads him into a temptation, a test. And look at this. First test, the tempter, that's the meanest guy, comes to him and says, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are jabbing at the idea, if you are, do something, prove something, show yourself. Come on, muster something. If you are, we're waiting, we're waiting. And Jesus sidesteps that. In fact, he doesn't even address the identity question, if you are. I imagine Jesus in his heart of hearts is going, let's do this. Quote scripture says, listen. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Oh, so the enemy goes, oh, so the mean guy goes, oh, you want to do that, huh? Well, then the second temptation. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point and said, if you are, there it is again, the Son of God, throw yourself down, prove it, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Interesting, Psalm 91, which also right after that talks about you shall put your foot on the head of the serpent. <laughs> I guess he didn't read far enough. <laughs> but here's the deal. You see, you, this is the worst kind of hurt. This is the worst kind of hit because it's, it's got a little bit of truth in it. Mm, those mean people that get a little bit of truth in you. That's a little bit. You know? They, they say, well, you know, you're... You're always late. And, and then you think to yourself, well, sometimes I am late. Maybe I, maybe I am always late. It's a little bit of truth to jab you. Oh, you, you can't, you'll, you'll never be able to do that. And what comes back to you isn't the times where you could do that. What comes back to you is the times where you couldn't. There's a little bit, a little bit of truth in there. 
kind of turn on you. Jesus doesn't answer the identity question. He steps right over it. He marches on. Why? How? Well, Jesus had already settled it. It had already been shored up inside of him. He was already prepared for the final exam. Here's what happened in the previous chapter. Jesus goes to find John the Baptist and says, I need to be baptized. John's like, ooh, I don't know. We should be the other way around. He goes, no, let it be right. This is it. Let it do. And here's Jesus. He hasn't done any official ministry yet. He's just fulfilling this uh, part of it to fulfill all righteousness. He gets baptized by John, and when he comes out of the water, Papa can't stand it anymore. He rips open the sky, and he goes, this is my son whom I love. I'm crazy about. Listen to him. What an endorsement. He hasn't done anything yet. It's important to remember. He's working from a place that's settled that he's loved. He's set. He's secure. You can say if you are the son of God. But I know whose son I am. It's settled. It's off the table. You can yak about it all you want. This is key because it's exactly where we need to start. When the mean people are jabbing and going for the juggler of our identity, it's where we've got to start because do you realize what Jesus says to us? This one whose father can't stand it and goes, look, that's my boy. Do you have any idea what heaven sounds like? When you step in, when you, when you move with Jesus, when you do what he's inviting, the father just goes, ah, that's my girl. That's my boy. That's him. I love him. And see, before Jesus leaves, he knows the students are going to need to know this. So he tells them in John 15, 9, as the father has loved me, which is the sky ripping, shouting down, baptism part like you've never seen before. That way, so have I loved you. You, 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 every single one of you, I'm crazy about you. I just want to rip the sky open and go, that's my kid. In the same way, you just wanted to hug up on Asher, right? You're loved. It needs to be settled. It needs to be sure. It's the reason that Jesus rarely ever Engages the identity question because he knows who he is. We know who made us, and we know, more importantly, whose we are. Before you're ever done, before Asher can't do anything for us, he can't fix us lunch after church, right? Can he? 
okay. I, I just want to make sure, you know. He, he can't wash the car. He can't vacuum the house. Do you love him? Always. He's not done anything. You see, you got to start with that. So oftentimes, we, after we become believers, we think, oh, you know, I, I just, Papa's not, he's not loving me now because I'm, I'm messing up here, but you got to start with his love is sure. It's his decision, not yours. It's his call, not yours. It's his love, not yours. He says, not me, he said it. I love you with an everlasting love. Sit in that. So when the people, the mean people are trying to score a hit and they're, you're a loser, you're weird, you're no good, you don't fit, I don't like you, get out of here. When they're all directed at your person, settle your person. And the fact that the one person, the one person who will make the call about what you are already has said, I love you. I love you. And now with identity settled, Jesus begins to move freely through these situations. All three camps, mean family, mean crowd, mean bullies. And he engages us in, in two ways that are really important for us to remember. Remember your identity settled. The second thing that he does is he considers the source. They're lost. Another way of saying is that Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. They're lost. You see, there's, when Jesus is going through, he, he's always considering the source of what's going on in them. Because there's a group of people, they think they know who he is. They've got the Messiah figured out in the job description all set for him, but they're missing it. Then there's some people who think they know who he is and they don't like it. They're always trying to disrupt things and always trying to shoot arrows at him. They don't really care to know more, to really know him. And then there's a group that are seeking to know him, like the woman at the well. A person who the world would look at and say, you don't fit. The mean people would pick on. You're a tramp. Get out of here. That same person has got the right perspective and is wondering, who is this? And guess what? She gets a wide open, real clear picture of who this Savior is. Because she's asking, she's looking, she's seeking. One of the people that I read a lot of these days is a sociology teacher from the University of Houston named Brene Brown. Have you heard of Brene Brown? She's done a world of good by dismantling shame. I think shame is the most powerful negative emotion on the face of the planet. Man, and do mean people use it. And Brene tells a story. She was actually a shy, uh, reserved kind of teacher. She had no idea she was wandering into such a public arena when she started talking this. And she had done a talk at a business sector. And then TED Talks, have you heard of TED Talks? Yep. Ted Talks contacted her and said, we'd like you to come. 
And in the conversation with her husband, she said, you know, I'm not going to do my usual academic talk. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be honest, and I'm going to talk straight on about shame. And that 25-minute talk, if you haven't heard it, listen to it. I don't think there's a wasted word in it. Every time I listen to it, I turn it off and go, I don't think I'm going to ever do public speaking again. And then I remember it's about shame. Stop it, Mark. Her husband had said, don't do it, don't do it. Brene went to do the talk, though, and she did it. But she had no idea that that talk was going to get put on the Internet. Oh, and Lord knows what happens on the Internet, right, people? In a matter of just hours, that talk took off, went viral. People are watching it. And so someone called Brene and said, hey, did you know that you have the fastest rising TED Talk online? And guess what she did? She went online. You can hear all the angels go, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> but if you do go online, then, then guess what she did? She read the comments. <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> Julie's over here. She read the comments. Yes. They were horrible. Oh, the mean people. One person said, oh, she'd be really fun to watch if she'd lose 20 pounds. Yuck. You oh. <laughs> got my Irish up there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm listening to Brene Brown, though. I'm going to step over that, yeah. All kinds of comments. Oh, we listened to her, but she's blonde, you know. And, and she's reading these comments. And, of course, you're, you're missing the comments like, this is one of the best TED Talks I've ever heard in my life. This is probably going to save my, you know, all these really great comments. What do you focus on? Yeah, the negative. And she, she fell into the dundrums. Oh, my gosh, she didn't really understand. And then all of a sudden, she had the epiphany that Jesus is teaching us that we should consider the source. And one of the most valuable quotes that came to her was a, a quote here by Theodore Roosevelt. He gave this famous talk, the man in the arena, after he was president. But he was still undergoing a lot of criticism from around the world. And he says this, it's poignant. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles. Or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. Whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. Who strives valiantly who errs, who comes short again and again. But there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions? Who spends himself in the worthy cause? Who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement? And who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly? so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Yes. 
Theo, bam, that's a grand slam. It's not the critic who counts. Say it with me. It's not the critic who counts. One more time. It's not the critic that counts. And Brene said, I am not listening to anyone who doesn't have mud smeared all over their face and sweat running down their brow. If they're not in the arena, you don't have a voice. Consider the source. And you see Jesus as he walks through these things, you get these beautiful little phrases that are how Jesus just kind of, mm, mm, kind of walks his way, through, mm, mm, because some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. He's like doing his thing. Back off, mean people. He said, <laughs> he's settled. He knows the source. In fact, in the start of, the, of John in 2.24, there's, there's, there's this phrase. That, did you catch this? Because this is foundational. It says Jesus would not entrust himself to, to men because he knew what was in him. Jesus didn't need confirmation. Now, we are in a place where we need some people to affirm, to support, to give us feedback. But listen, make sure those are people that are in the arena with you. Can I get an Amen. Come on, people, yes. And lastly, you know, when you've walked through and you've settled your identity and you know the source, there's one last thing that you see Jesus do beautifully. He responds. He doesn't react. So oftentimes, he doesn't answer his brothers and explain to them once again who he is. He doesn't stop the crowd and go, well, let me introduce myself one more time. He doesn't storm the pharisaical gatherings and say, wait, you guys have me wrong. Mm -mm. Those who seek me will find me. He's not looking, but he does respond. He does move through. He does dig into some things. And when we're in a situation and the mean people are hitting us and they're attacking our identity, it's really tempting to react, is it not? Oh, so you want to trade punches. But if you get yourself on that sticky flypaper, it's just going to gum you all up and you're going to be all tangled up in bitterness and frustration and aggravation. And you're going to go away feeling less sure about who you are and whose you are. Step back. Remember, as the Father has loved Jesus, so has he loved us. Sit in it. Do what Jesus says, now remain in my love. Consider the source. Then respond. You see, Jesus came not to just survive the world and mean people, but he came to overcome and change the world. And guess who's on the train with him? And he says, come follow me, and we're going to change this. We're going to walk through the camps of the mean and nasty people. And we're going to show them a better way, a higher way, a powerful way. We're going to do it. I'll close with this. Well, Charles Stanley, do you know who he is? Andy Stanley is kind of the big hitter now, but Charles is his papa. When Charles became the pastor of First Baptist Church in Atlanta, there were lots of people that did not like Charles Stanley. 
They did not think he was the guy to do it. They thought he was too intellectual. They didn't think that he had enough preacher in him. And so there were lots of people with lots of opinions. The crowd was stirred up. It got so crazy that one Sunday, the ushers had to grab a guy who was charging towards Charles Stanley in the pulpit and wanted to fight with him. Right there, Sunday service. Mean people invading the sanctuary. Imagine that. But Charles Stanley said, he responded to those people in three ways. He said, I've responded to their threats, their criticism, their opposition with number one, silence. He did that because his identity was set. Someone later had asked Charles Stanley, how did you do that? He goes, I knew where God was calling me. Right there. Identity settled. He responded with silence. Number two, he loved them. He considered the source of their frustration and somehow found the grace and the ability to return good for evil and to love them. And number three, he prayed for them. And if you want to get a mean person real good, lift them up to Jesus. Amen? Lift them up. So would you pray with me? And as we close in prayer, I want you to open up your heart to the Holy Spirit. I don't know if any of us here don't have at least a few mean people. And if you need some, call me. I got some I can send your way. But let's lean in together. Lord, thank you for your example over and over again. In every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see you meeting people that honestly, there's no other way to, to package it. They were mean. And you walk through as the king of love. As our sign says this morning, love is one. Would you, as we go back to worship, Holy Spirit, would you move in such a way as that if in our heart our identity is unsettled, Holy Spirit, will you come, like Romans 8 says, shouting within us, Abba, Father, making known that we are children of God, that he has adopted us, he has adopted us. Lord, if there's frustration and we're not sure what to do with this source, would you open our eyes and give us understanding? Maybe it is someone who's just struggling to be heard, to be seen, to be engaged. Maybe that's it. Or maybe they're just people who are reckless, have their mind made up. Show us boundaries and what we need to do. But Holy Spirit, guide us in the way of Jesus because we see the way of Jesus in John 7. Guide us, guide us, guide us, guide us. And Lord, in this place, we... We just want to pray as your people who are dearly loved that you would help us as we walk through day by day, relationship by relationship, to respond and not react. Out of our settledness of whose we are, out of the discernment of the source that these things are coming from, help us to respond like you. That is our prayer and our hope. 
for we pray in your name and honor. Amen.
Yeah.